0: Hey, everybody welcome to the with CP podcast uh, this is David Domkey uh, Julia G is usually the host for this podcast but Julia is is got a lot going on today and we wanted to do a very timely podcast and so I'll gonna carry it for Julia today um, the podcast is with common power that's the what the with CP stands for and uh, we want to respond and have a conversation right now about um, the 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 uh, Leaked draft Supreme Court decision written by Samuel Alito that is going to strike down Roe v. Wade, uh, which has been the law of the land and has granted the right to an abortion um, in this country for uh, since 1973 in the United States and has been affirmed and upheld in a couple of Supreme Court decisions over time. And um, now it looks like it's it's going to be struck down. The fact that it's going to be struck down has been largely expected with the composition of this Supreme Court. But what makes this so monumental is at this exact moment is that this decision was leaked and it was unexpected and Supreme Court decisions are not usually leaked. And so this came out of the blue and it it clearly um uh, is a frightening moment for this country. So I'm joined by three awesome colleagues and, if, and we might be able to get a fourth. We'll see she's, she's in the middle of a bunch of things. But I'm joined by Dr. Kiana Scott, who is the vice president of the National Women's uh, Political Caucus in the Washington branch and has been a longtime advocate for women's rights and equality, and uh, is somebody that I've known and respected for her work around politics. Also, been involved in national and local politics substantially. I'm joined by Dr. Terry Scott. There's two Dr. Scotts on this uh, on this podcast. Th- this one, the second one, is Dr. Terry Scott, who is a professor at Hood College in Maryland and is the incoming director of the new, to be launched in June, Institute for Common Power, a national educational footprint that is an attempt to teach the accuracy of American uh, politics, American history, American civics. And there's just a huge assault upon education. And certainly this um, is in the oxygen of that environment. So Dr. Scott, Dr. Terry Scott will only be able to be with us for a little bit of time, but she's fitting us in between a bunch of things. And then joined by Larcy Douglas, who is the executive director of Common Power Future, which is a 501c3 that's part of the Common Power collection of organizations. It's the the the, the place, and she's the the parent who birthed. Action Academy, an incredible next generation leadership program that we are extremely excited about. It's in its third year now, and they focus on voting rights, women's rights, politics, civics in this country. Um, and she has also been a longtime organizer in the Filipino community here in Seattle. So, all three of these folks are here, and I'm just going to kind of facilitate the conversation here mostly. I'm going to do a quick, uh, first up, a little round robin of reactions from people. And I saw a tweet from doc, both Dr. Scott's in the last 24 hours. I've seen tweets from them. And so, Dr. Kiana Scott, going to start with your reaction, please.
1: Yeah, David, thanks for having me. And I'm sorry to be here under these circumstances talking about this issue. Um, but I think no matter how prepared I thought I was, no matter how prepared others in my community, other women I know thought we were, um, the Supreme Court has been signaling that this outcome was likely for quite some time. We, I'm feeling shocked. I'm feeling disgust. I'm feeling horror. I'm feeling deep, deep sorrow for our country, for the people who are impacted by Um, this decision and for the people who are feeling uh, correctly, like many are considering them less than right now. So even knowing that this was coming, it still hit really hard. And I am also feeling fierce, fierce rage right now that our country 49 years after Roe was enacted has to uh, have this conversation again.
0: Okay, thank you, Dr. Terry Scott.
2: Yes, thank you also for having me. And um, I definitely want to echo what Dr. Scott said. We knew it was coming and yet we are shocked. And so I heard someone say that this morning, I'm shocked and yet not shocked because this becomes part of a continuum of really an attack on so many things happening in this country, an attack on truth, an attack on a woman's, a, a person's autonomy over their body, an attack on our ability to exist and have an identity in this world It becomes part of this moment where we are making people feel bad about who they are with some of the don't say gay bills. And so that's where the shock but not shock comes. Despite that, and despite what we are existing in, when I saw that come through the news yesterday, uh, to again, to say what Dr. Scott was saying, I was sickened and disgusted. And everybody out there listening, we have a moment where we feel like we are disillusioned and knocked down. But I am not able to stay with you long today, but one of the things I want to emphasize is we are not knocked down. We have seen such attacks on democracy and civil rights in the past, and we have attacked them back and won. And so don't think that we can't win again. Do not become discouraged.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Scott. I'm going to come back to you, Terry, in a moment before you take off to talk a little bit more about something we can do. Larcy, what are your thoughts?
3: you know, in the sea of Dr. Scott's, what's a Douglas supposed to do? This is amazing right now. Um, you know, the Twitter rabbit hole last night, just trying to find something that would kind of ease the shock. But all I kept asking was like, why, why? Like, wh- wh- what's all this for? And, and having um, these types of like topics and platforms be kind of a mask, that there's an underlying reason someplace. That's what I was trying to look for in Twitter because I just have such a, a disbelief that there are people out there who truly, truly feel this way. And I'm like, what kind of heart do you have? And I, I'm still searching to see if they have heart and, and, and or not, um, but the, sh- the shock is definitely also there. But I also, is just asking like, why? why are we here again? Or why Why do they feel that this is a good policy out there? And, and when I find those answers for my whys, I'll let y'all know. But in the meantime, since we're talking about just first shock of, of everything, it's just shock. And then also just why? Where is my why out there?
0: I think that uh, part of what has gotten that triggers me even more is Samuel Alito himself and his his the way he writes and his his lack of empathy and so when you read what he what has been released it is a it is a it is a caustic uh, uncaring position the position itself is terrible but the rhetoric elevates it even further and to me he's giving voice to a body of opinion that says that. Anybody can make decisions for somebody else over their body, and it is these nine people on the Supreme Court who have supposedly the final say on this for all of these Americans. And so it is Alito's lack of empathy, which to me even elevates, makes us even worse. Um, and I think that's why somebody released the opinion is that they don't want Alito's lack of empathy to, to somehow push away any of the other justices that are with him. And they did, they want to make sure that those five stay together. And I think that's why this decision has been released at this time, is that so nobody can back away from it at this point. So Terry Scott, you are uh, in process of leaving a position at Hood College to to devote your career to a body of work where we respond to these kind of setbacks and this kind of horrible political dynamics and so can you say a little bit about what you're doing and what's coming up that that is why you're doing that
2: absolutely first i want to say something about what you're noting the lack of empathy this despicable lack of empathy because it's not that people in so many states across the country won't be able to get abortions it's that they won't get safe abortions and so what we will see is people dying or be not being able to have children in the future because of their lack of access to safe abortion. So I wanted to make that point. The other point is, yes, I'll be, and I'm, I'm very excited and, and um, containing that right now, not containing it, but really it's kind of trumped in, in many ways by the moment that we're in today, but still happy about what we're b- going to embark on because the Institute for Common Power will help to empower people to address kinds of things that are happening today. We are going to do education to action. Common Power already does much of this work. They empower people to vote. They educate them on the issues that are related to an attack on civil rights. They educate people on how to create an inclusive democracy. We're going to take that another step further and so we'll have programming that is already in Common Power House in the institute and we'll do other programming as well that help educate people on the issues we're dealing with now and teach them what they can do about it, education to action. And so that's one of the reasons why I am leaving the academy which people often say you're crazy when you leave a 10 year job. You're not crazy when you leave it when you know you're going to do something that's going to make a difference. And when you're going to work with people who are like-minded with the same energy and force and passion to make that difference.
0: So in early June, we'll be launching with three events in Seattle, all in person. Um, over the course of June 3rd and June 4th. And so Dr. Terry will be here for that. Um, you're You're off right now to one of the programs for that organization, right? What is that program?
2: I am. So one of the programs we're doing is called Scholars in Motion. And what that is, I'm headed to a housing project right now. So we are partnering here with a local housing project. We're going to move that then to DC and Selma in the coming couple of years. And I am a firm believer, as we all are, that children, no matter what their economic status, or their race should have access to what their counterparts have who have money. And so these housing projects are largely um, African-American and and Latino youth. And I want to make sure that they have access to get to college in the way that other children do. So we're going to provide, for instance, SAT prep. We're going to talk about um, course planning. We're going to work on their resumes. We're going to give them access to the kinds of coaching and paths that other people have when they have money. And so that we know when they go into college, that changes generational wealth, that changes not only the access they have, but the access those who come after them have. And then it'll be a wonderful program that feeds into Larcy's Incredible Action Academy. So we don't just send them off into college and say, fly and do what you can. We say, here's something else that can help support you as well with Action Academy.
0: That's great. Okay, that is so terrific, and that's a perfect segue for where I want to come, conver- where we need to take the conversation. So, Dr. Terry, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'll we'll continue thank our work together. Sure.
2: Sounds great. Thank you all. Bye bye.
0: Thank you, Kiana and Larcy. I want to take it into that context of race. This conversation, Common Power is an organization that pursues what we call voting justice—the opportunity to vote, to register to vote, and then to actually cast your votes. And in the United States, that has always been a deeply racialized space. People of color targeted for why it is that they uh, shouldn't get the right to exercise their votes in democracy. Um, Abortion and the right that comes with um, the privacy that's attached to that is often differentially denied to people of color, particularly Black people in this society. And so abortion is going to particularly have an impact in this country. Uh, This decision will particularly have an impact in this country that removes um, the ability of less economically advantaged individuals and also people who live in communities where the the, 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 uh, uh, clinics will be shut down and don't have access to travel to get these taken care of in communities that are particularly less economically advantaged and that correlates with people of color in this country. So let's talk about that because common power is always mindful of the racial dimensions of our democracy. So this is a, uh, what we would call a women's or women identified rights decision generally, but it is not only by any means. And so, Larcy, you wanna go ahead and speak to that first and then we'll go to, to Kiana.
3: Absolutely. So, you know, I'm a I'm a first generation immigrant uh, from the Philippines and, you know, Philippines right now is still considered a developing country that has so many structures in that country that is very anti-democratic. So many of the citizens there travel out and and seek uh, uh, different types of lifestyles or work because that, you know, there's a lot of things going on in the Philippines that we could we could. Compared that is very anti-democratic. I could go down that rabbit hole, but that's not the podcast today. But the reason for that kind of back context is that we are living here in, in, in a country that is that is about democracy, that wants to live its values democratically. However, there are systems in place that continue the systems of oppression. And that is kind of what we teach the, the students in Action Academies to help identify these institutional systems of oppression and how that has disenfranchised um, black and brown communities or communities of color and or socioeconomic communities where you know, it's not all there and the resources are not all there. And so in my recent transition to more politic heavy with common power, I am still so much in disbelief that there are people perpetuating that kind of system. And it, it really is so frustrating that people want a society where people have to live in despair. People have to be desperate because out of that despair and desperation, they know people out there can control those emotions and those situations and i just find that so disheartening um because how are we then any different than a third world country if if just because we have roads and and uh access to certain things there's still a system there that wants to keep us in that in that in that kind of phase and i and i think that's the part where i want to fight against and um so the racial aspect of all of this, as I'm also learning through this organization, is how much of all of these systems of, opp- of, of oppression is really meant to keep down certain demographics of communities and people of color. And I am, you know, I am in shock just in my uh experience right now in America, knowing that it's only been 30 plus years, but I am not in disbelief at all at how much. Frustration and shock that women um, of all ages and even women who are older than me have right now. And I just want to be able to say, How can I help in this fight? And how do we help these communities out there who will be impacted by this be able to say, We got you. We will help you. We will be in this together. Um, And Kiana, please chime in at any given time because you have a lot more backstory in this, uh, probably dating, you know, far longer than I have been in this country, but I just, I am, I'm observing it and I'm aware of it now. And I'm just like, okay, let's roll up our sleeves. What do we do?
1: Yeah, Larcy, I think that's such a good, um, a good question to ask yourself. And I loved the way that you were talking about systems of oppression intended to target certain communities because that's exactly what we're seeing with this. Um, We know that the end goal here isn't to let people have children because if it was, our country would have paid parental leave. We would have affordable childcare. We would have uh, food security for everyone. We would have anti-poverty measures. We are seeing none of those things, none of them. We are making it harder as a country and as most states for people to have children in this country this is just forcing people to give birth when they don't want to. Um, and that we know that those uh, compounding systems of oppression do impact certain communities more than others because certain communities rely on, um, on those, those networks of support more than others. Um, and I think it's, it's worth looking at how this, this ban was structured. Um, Roe v. Wade didn't say that abortion is... Uh, didn't didn't make abortion legal everywhere. It just said states can't make abortion illegal. When Roe is struck down, which it will be in this court, we know that much, um, there, are, there are 13 states that have trigger laws that will immediately mean abortion is illegal. There are five more that have bans that were predating the Roe era that will immediately snap back into place. That's 18 states right off the bat that mean no one in those states will be able to receive the abortion care they need. We know that that will impact women, people with uteruses, people who can get pregnant um, of color and who live in poverty more than anyone else. Wealthy people will always be able to seek the abortion care they need. Someone said earlier in this conversation that this isn't the end of abortion, this is the end of safe and legal abortion. And that is absolutely true. And that's part of why this is so tragic.
0: Let's 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 I want to ask you about the 18 states that you're mentioning. Can you just say some more about the 13 plus the five? What exactly is the legal situation in those states?
1: Yeah, well, each one of the confusing and complicating factors of how this is all happening is that each state will be different. So there isn't an overarching boom. This looks exactly the same across these 13 states. But roughly speaking, um, these states have what we call trigger laws. Laws that say, as soon as X happens, we will do Y. In this case, as soon as Roe v. Wade is struck down, we will make abortion illegal, either entirely or functionally in our state. Um, were,
0: were those laws passed like post row with this whole? Laws,
1: exactly, David. Those laws were, those laws were passed post row, um, and they really demonstrate that the Republicans are playing the long game and they are playing it exceptionally well. They have been planning for this for a really long time. They've been laying the groundwork so that it doesn't go Roe v. Wade is struck down and then states have to pass laws. No, they passed those laws anticipating that Roe v. Wade would be struck down. So as soon as the Supreme Court strikes down Roe v. Wade, those laws go into effect. They don't have to wait any longer. Um, Those states are primarily in the South, but not exclusively. Um, And then we have five other states that had laws Predating Roe v. Wade, so prior to 1973, that go into effect, is, that snap back essentially. So we return to a pre-Roe era in those five states.
0: And what, when, when each of you talk about the, the reality that abortions will still occur, they won't be safe, how, how will those abortions occur outside of medical facilities? They will be done personally and they will be done without any kind of health elements. Is that is that how we're talking? Is that what it was pre-Roe, the way it was?
1: Yeah, I would strongly recommend that everyone take a chance to read a book called The Family Roe by Joshua Prager, which out is a story um, tracing the history of the, the people involved in Roe v. Wade, the attorneys, Jane Roe herself, an abortion practitioner. Um, a, a strident anti-abortion activist to really understand the scope of what we're talking about when we talk about um, what Roe meant in this country and what Roe still means forty-nine years later. Um, David, I want to be careful not to fearmonger and not to um, not to speak outside of my lane. There are there's a lot of conversation right now about um, medication abortion, which is going to be accessible to some people but there are a lot, of, a lot of things that need to be in place in order for someone who needs that care to access it. Um, and so that's, that can be incredibly complicated. Abortion has been around as long as there have been humans on this planet. This is nothing new. Um, so there is, there is a lot of ability for people to get care outside of systems in ways that may or may not be safe. And that's not what we want. We want people to be able to access the abortion care that they need or want in a way that is safe, in a way that is um, legal, and in a way that that works for their lives.
3: Yeah, I think that's the key thing here is, is safe. I think that, you know, like you said, it's been around for quite some time and or people have been doing, uh, you know, these practices, but but what is safe, you know, and, and, and having access to the the safety of it so that it doesn't you know, it, it doesn't go the, the wrong way or, or like not the wrong way, but it doesn't get any worse in, in that situation. Right. Because I think like in one of the one of the stories I was uh, reading up on Twitter is just how much how many more women are kind of coming into the forefront now with their own stories of, of how they were able to access this thing. But then they also heard horror stories of when it's not practiced in a safe manner. And like what and then the, the tragedy that happens around those things. And so I think that what we're fighting for right now is like, you know, these things are going to happen. These things are, are, are a choice and we should have that choice be, you know, uh, for ours to live with, but we still want to have the resources in place so that we can make the right choice and or we can make a safe choice regarding these situations. And um, yeah, I think right now it's it's really just like, they're just trying to take everything away from from any of those choices.
1: And yeah. one, one other piece that I'll add is that, just as there are states that have trigger laws in place that have pre-existing bans in place that will immediately make abortion illegal there are states in this country um, primarily on the coasts where abortion rights have been codified into law and washington is one of those Um, in 1991 we passed a citizen initiative i-120 codifying roe into law here So we have uh, a continued right to abortions in Washington state. Similar laws are in effect in uh, Oregon, in Colorado, in California, Colorado passed one at the legislative level um, just in the last couple of years. All of that means that we can get abortions legally. It doesn't answer whether abortions will be available. Um, And that's another complicating factor here because there are There are movements at play that are there are movements underway to take over hospitals. We're seeing this a lot in Washington. We're having Catholic hospital systems take over hospital systems, meaning that even though abortion is legal, hospitals may not offer it. Um, That adds to uh, abortion deserts, to these spaces where abortion may be unavailable for folks. Um, And this is a place where abortion access funds play a really important role, helping people move out of states. Um, travel out of states where abortion is illegal and seek care in states where abortion is legal, giving giving folks who need it, the funding, the support, the safety to make those um, make those trips. I want to come.
0: So back I want to. Wanna, oh, yeah. sorry. oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry, sorry Larcy. I was, just wanted to. Kian, I want to come back to that as part of an action step. OK, yeah, go ahead, Larcy.
3: Yeah. I was going to actually go deeper into like, you know, the States that have codified it and said, okay, well, this is just going to be an access for you all for our citizens here in this state. And then let's say that we do have a nearby state that is illegal and they have to come to us. Seek- true- right. Exactly. Yeah. And so let's say, let's say I'm someone in Idaho and I, some, you know, something happened to me, I was raped or something like that. And now I just, I don't, you know, I need to seek this care. I have to go now to Washington Um, But that also requires a lot more decision making that I have to do in order to access it. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to go hop in my car and go. But what if I'm somebody who doesn't have a car? And so all of it's not just like my choice right now, my body It's everything leading up to that choice for my body. It's the choice that I have to make to like, one, live with this thing. It's another choice to say, where do I get access to this thing? It's another choice to say, how do I get there? And then also another choice of saying like, what support do I have? Whether or not I make this choice or not. And you're right. If the systems were in place, that we are all about life in this country, then then why make it harder for a decision to be made? Then this decision should actually be made easier if there were other support systems in place. So then it forces you know, goodwill Samaritans, goodwill organizations to have to fill in the gap. And that's where we have to seek that other refuge of like, where are those organizations that have to fill that gap because I still have to make this decision. But then everything leading up to that decision is like, I can't make that decision. You mean, in order for me to even do this thing, I have to have an opinion over here to tell me what my access looks like in order to get to this decision. That's frustrating. I mean, already we have tough decisions in life that we have to deal with, and then you have to make this thing a little bit harder. Like, you know, my post office is too much. You know, two blocks away. Great. You know what? Like, then let's make other things be easier because we want productive minds in this society as much as we can.
1: Larcy, I think you're touching on such a good point, which is that so much of this is about making people's lives harder,
3: mm-hmm. and
1: that is part of part of what just fills me with outrage over. Everything we're seeing right now, um, the decisions that are being made are 100% being made by people who may have had to seek abortion care in their in their time, but aren't right now, um, and mostly men. And I feel ill thinking about how little say, if the if and when this happens, how little say I will have over my own body, um, and that is a reality that my grandmother had to live with, that my mother had to live with until Roe was passed. Um, Neither of them ever expected that I would have to live with that. If I have children, they will have to live with that too, unless we turn this thing around. That's terrifying to me. And uh, it's, it's part of what makes this burn so hot for so many of us. And it's part of what drives me to make sure that we keep that rage sustained because the outrage that I feel right now has to last and that will be exhausting.
0: Yeah, we're talking about probably the the most clear, important rollback of rights that we've had uh, for a class of people in maybe a century, okay? Um, And the reality is we've had move forward with rights like same-sex marriage. Um, but we've had, this is a rollback of rights. And as an organization that's focused on voting, we have paid so much attention to the power of the 2013 Supreme Court decision, um, Shelby County, the holder that rolled back so much of the crucial elements of the Voting Rights Act. And so I think about those two decisions, both under the Roberts court, right? Both under the Roberts court both made by a set of justices, and including in this case, who during their nomination uh, hearings made, made statements in which they said that they would not do these things. They would not do those. So is there any immediate repercussions for these Supreme Court Chief Justices like a perjury charge or anything like that? Or is that just beyond what is possible with these lifetime appointments of Supreme Court justices? Kiana, I'll ask you.
1: Well, they are immediately faced with Susan Collins' deep disappointment and dismay, which must weigh heavily on them. Um, But beyond that, no. Uh, They are going to be able to say, I made this decision based on the information in front of me. Perjury does not play a role here. There will be no ramifications. These are lifetime appointments. despite the fact that four of the five justices who are in the majority were appointed by presidents who had lost the popular vote. Two of those, uh, one was accused credibly, very credibly of sexual harassment during his Supreme Court hearings. Um, another was, was again, very credibly accused of trying to rape a 15 year old girl. I mean, these are the men who are making the decisions that govern my ability to make choices about my body. That's horrifying to me. That's hor- That should be horrifying to all of us. But no, there will be no ramifications for them as individuals or for the Supreme Court as it stands now, unless President Biden makes a decision or Congress makes a decision to add justices to the Supreme Court and dilute their view. Uh, we're talking about constitutional power and constitutional authority right now a lot, um, the supreme, the constitutional right to abortion. There is nothing in the constitution about the size of the Supreme Court.
0: Yeah, okay. Um- also, the, it's possible um, that Congress could pass a law, right, I mean, or in the realm of possibility, Congress could pass a law codifying the right to an abortion. And you can set it at a certain time, a certain place, you could take the Roe standard, you could do that. that. That is like a legislative possibility. Um, at this point in time, It's not a possibility because of the level of support for it or the unwillingness of Republicans to even allow the issue to come up for a vote um, in the the Congress. However, there will be some significant public pressure to try to pass such a law in the next several months. Um, And so this is something that uh, is a place where we can begin to divert some of this anger that we're feeling right, towards this, towards attempting to put into place a Senate that would be willing to get rid of the filibuster post-election. There's already passage in the House, a law that would codify Roe into law for the right to an abortion. So the Senate, if they were to pass it, would certainly be signed by this president. So it could be done. What we don't have in place right now is a body of people in leadership that are willing to do that, right? And so that's where an organization like Common Power comes in, is that we feel all of this. We are genuinely outraged. We are outraged because of us personally. We are outraged for our fellow citizens. And we have to take the model of those before us who have felt similar oppression and have said, we will get up and we will fight and we will work even when the dawn looks the darkest. Um, And so that's the case. So I want to go back to one point you mentioned, Kiana, and then we're going to bring this to a close here with a kind of an Couple action steps. You mentioned abortion access funds. Can you say? Can you tell us a little bit more about those, please?
1: Yeah, happily, an abortion access fund is a um, an organization that offers direct aid to anyone who is seeking an abortion. That can be financial. It can be logistics. It can be someone to pick you up from the airport. Someone to give you a guest room or a guest house or a place to sleep if you have to travel for care. It can be financial support to pay for an abortion. Um, It can be financial support to pay for childcare. Most women who seek abortions already are mothers, um, already have children. So you need someone to watch your your kid um, if you need to go get this care and you're not not, um, able to do so locally. So these are great places to give financial support and to give, um, give your time and energy. If you live in Seattle, the Northwest Abortion Access Fund is an excellent option. They do really incredible work, Um, but there are locations locations and organizations all around the country. They are providing direct aid for people who are seeking abortions now. Um, Planned Parenthood, NARAL, similar organizations are also doing really important work. They're primarily either healthcare centers like Planned Parenthood or advocacy organizations like Planned Parenthood Action and NARAL. Um, So they're focused on other sides of this fight. Um, And we need need all participants. We need people operating on all of these levels. This is not a simple one-step solution. We need people engaged in abortion access work. We also need people engaged in advocacy. Um, And David, I want to offer one additional piece to what you just said, which is a reminder that abortion is incredibly popular in this country. Eight in 10 Americans believe that abortion should be legal. Um, This is not a fringe far left position, this is by far the vast majority of people in the United States. Republicans in the GOP will tell you that this is a a very um, progressive view, that this is something that only um, people on the far, far left care about, and that's simply not true. There is tremendous research out there indicating just how popular safe legal abortions are in this country.
0: And Larsi, I want to ask you about Action Academy, which is this college age next generation leadership program of which a large percentage in that um, uh, or in that Action Academy are people who, uh, who are not politically engaged substantially. They have not been raised in the home of a governor or something like this. They've been raised in homes where politics has been something that has not been you know, supposedly for them. And so they're learning, they're gaining insights into the racial and gendered uh, oppressions that exist in American civic life. You are going to have a group together this summer, starting in July, that will be about 100-ish in terms of size, trying to get even above that. Don't you think like this is going to be front and center for many of these folks? They're going to be dealing with a reality that has never existed in the United States as they've known it.
3: Oh, absolutely. And I think the biggest realization of like the, the difference in, in society and life is that most of them grew up in the Obama administration. And then when they were about ready to vote and, and or voting age, like then like, all of a sudden they start to see Trump. And so they start to see different expectations and different ways of governing and leadership in this country that are like polar opposites of each other. So they have to question it. Like, wait a minute, how can we go from this to this? So it's gotta be front and center and it has to be front and center because I always tell this to young people, you being young have the privilege to be able to live out this democracy the longest, but you have the biggest responsibility to make it such a democracy. And so when we're teaching them these systems of oppression and action academy, it's not so much like, oh, this is bad, this is good, is, hey, we live in this democracy. Is this democratic or not? And then they get to question it themselves. And so we teach them All of these ways that, again, what Kiana was saying earlier is like the decision makers of all of these really, really big topics and really, really life changing things are not the same people to carry out that life. And so that's what we want to show is true representation in our democracy is like the person who should be making this decision better know the ins and outs of how that decision gets to be carried. And right now, that's not a reflection of it. And so when we're learning all these things in Action Academy, we just show them these systems of oppression, who makes those decisions, who benefits from it, who is victims of it, who are continued victims of it, and like what the harm has been done, and how people decide to continue or perpetuate that very same thing, and then also, like, what do we do about it? How do you do, how do you make these changes? And and you know, they do spend a ton of time with us because this isn't an overnight thing. We're not going to just give you something overnight, and all of a sudden tomorrow you have this wisdom, and then also know what to do. It takes time to practice a new language, a new way of thinking, and also a care that we need to provide and how to put forward the right kind of action.
0: Thank you, thank you both. Um, I wanna wrap up here, uh, and I, you both have given a lot of time to this, and I, I think there's a long-term arc to this, but, but right now, today, this moment, what is your, what are you going to personally do? It could be very personal, it could be political, but what are you personally going to do, let's say, in the next week to somehow make sense or move forward. Kiana?
1: Yeah, I'm doing two things. I am talking to everyone I can get my hands on about the need to fund abortion access funds in this moment right now, particularly men, encouraging them to put their money towards this important work. And I'm also calling all my members of Congress to encourage them to codify Roe. We know that we have uh, liberal leaders in Washington State and in Seattle, where I live, I need them to be strong, fierce advocates for this work. So that's where I'm focusing my effort in the short term.
0: Thank you, and Larcy, how about you?
3: I'm gonna follow Kiana. <laughs> Those are great things. I believe in all of it, um, and I just want to be a better. I want to be a better ally to the people who are currently doing this work day in and day out, and also I want to be a champion and an advocate for you all that are doing this work to say, how do we amplify all of this? Because like, even though I'm, my work is different, it's still trying to bring forward a better democracy for, for everyone who is living in this democracy. So um, personally, I just, I wanna continue this conversation. I think there's a lot of women out there who are still afraid To say the things that they really truly feel and I want to provide a space for them to to be able to voice some of that fear and or anger so let's have those conversations let's bring them all to the forefront Um, I am here I am reachable I'm willing to have those conversations and then after that we're just going to follow Kiana and say okay well this is what women out there are doing to to just push forward that much more
1: well and Larcy, I think this is a great example of how interconnected our work is Um, We can't can't fight for reproductive justice without also fighting for racial equality, without also fighting for full access to voting rights, without also fighting for representation at all levels of government. So we need the we need the important work that you're doing um, every single day.
0: Yeah. Well, let us all be firmly, everybody listening, uh, firmly committed to to not simply feeling whatever you feel. All right, we are privileged enough to be able to actually do something with where we're at. We can make a difference, and it may not be the difference we want to make today, but we are going to be in it for the long haul. So, thank you, Dr. Kiana Scott. Thank you, Larcy Douglas, great colleagues. Really appreciate it. Honored to be here with you. Thank you, Terry Scott, who was with us. And, And this dark moment, this bad day in American history, it is a historic day as we've learned of this forthcoming decision. Let us also sustain. Thank you both.
3: Thank you, David. Thank you, Larcy. Thank you, Kiana. Thank you, David. Kiana, so good to only see you.
0: See you both. Bye bye.
3: All right. Bye everyone.